Hello, my name is Stephen Schooling. I'm a director of UCL Business, UCL's IP commercialization company. And I'm here today with Graham Smith, who from 2008 through to 2021 was the chief executive officer of Sensi Limited, uh, a UCLB spin-out company um, that, that started life uh, building on technology from the Department of Electronic Engineering at University College London. Um, and over that, that journey from 2008 to 21, Graham turned the business uh, very much from an early stage tech-focused organisation to a, to a commercially focused provider of wireless remote condition monitoring solutions, which, basic, which very much became the de facto solution in rail and construction asset management. And Graham will, first of all, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, I'm sure we'll start, perhaps in due course, with just a bit of a summary of you know, the, the underlying technology for those, for those who are not familiar with wireless remote condition monitoring. Um, if that's okay. And then I think what we'll, we'll do is just go through and just do the three phases of the journey because it was a journey. Um, talk about the, you know, the various phases of building the business, um, the learnings, um, the challenges. And, and the then critical it, success factors. Critical success factors would be wonderful. Making the business ready for a sale. Yep, which there, as you say, taking us through to 2021 with, the, with, with, with its acquisition by, um, by Edify. And then just wrap up at the end with just some, just some learnings for those who are thinking of going sure. on this journey again. Um, that would be, you know, that'd be really helpful. And I think insightful for the people who will download this and who are thinking about possibly doing that with sure. their own technology at UCL. Sure. If that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Sensive, uh, the Sensive journey. Uh, well, I hope to be able to inspire people into uh, to seeing what is possible from a, from a startup, a very humble startup, uh, but also, um, and here's the tricky bit, uh, in how to be r realistic about the journey and how hard the journey can be and the sacrifices one needs to, to make along the way. Um, but leave you, hopefully, with the, uh, the feeling that uh, when you do crack it, hopefully when rather than if, you finally crack it, uh, that it, uh, it is and will be an amazing journey to, to go on and you can look back on with, uh, with some great success. Uh, we talk about three phases uh, in the, the, the journey. Um, the first phase um, is around the, the foundation, those early stages uh, as it immediately comes out of uh, a spin-out from, from UCL or any other uh, university. Uh, the second phase, uh, the consolidation and establishing credibility, which is fundamental there if you're going to move on. And then uh, finally, uh, stage three or phase three, uh, the growth phase where hopefully starting to make some money and, uh, and the business is, uh, is going places. So yeah, I'll start with, uh, with phase one, the foundation. Uh, that is a, the period before, uh, before I joined. Uh, Stephen managed to corral me into the business for sometime around 2008. Uh, but I think it would be fair to say that uh, it was a fairly basic technology business. In fact, it was a wireless mesh technology business. Uh, very much developed at, at UCL, uh, postgrad researchers. Um, and when I joined in 2009, so looking back on that first phase, uh, it was a business that had not made its pathway uh, very clear. Uh, it was effectively a technology looking for a home and without a clearly developed set of products uh, or even a real awareness of, of markets and market dynamics. And I've run a number of businesses 
uh, in the past. And, and, you know, that is not unusual for a, a startup. You create a technology, you're searching around for a place that you think it will work. Um, and it, it often takes a while to work out which sector, what kind of products that you need in order to be able to make it successful. But anyway, I, um, apocryphally or amusingly, uh, I do look back on uh, the, my first or, or second meeting. Stephen introduced me to the guys. Um, we had a sales meeting. Uh, there was a, a sales sheet, I think, with 20 pages of opportunities. And when I mean 20 pages, I mean 20 pages double-sided with 10 prospects on each page. So uh, I'll let you do the maths on how many opportunities, in theory, uh, the business had. Um, uh, it was in the, in the hundreds. Uh, across almost every sector known to man, oil and gas, rail, I think we even had some hospitals, um, uh, and almost every other kind of sector that, uh, that you'd kind of uh, like to mention. We came to the end of the meeting, and I think it lasted about five or six hours, didn't it, Stephen? I, it was uh, one of the more amusing ones, and I think I came to the conclusion after five hours of, of going through hundreds of prospects that actually we had no real prospects. But it's fair um, to say at that point, Graham, we all knew that, well, we thought that wireless-enabled measurement and instrumentation had great potential. And yes. that probably, that first sort of, in a sense, list of prospects reinforced at one level that it, that it may have had potential, but it also, it also encapsulated the gulf that, or in a sense, the chasm that needed to be crossed yeah. to go from, you know, conceptually using wireless-enabled instrumentation yeah. to getting adoption. Absolutely. Um, it was pretty, you know, it was... It was no, fundamentally, yeah. and, and again, you know, re relating this to many other technology businesses, that the, the challenge, you have a technology, you think it's great, you, it may or may not be well-developed, but actually, at its heart, it sounds like it ought to be interesting to people, but actually... In practical terms, and in more pertinently commercial terms, you've got to work out where that technology is going to be positioned. Yeah, what is what are the market dynamics? You know, what is the price? How many can I sell? What margin am I am I going to make? These are really difficult issues, and the business had wrestled with those um, for two or three years, three years or so when I joined. But I mean, looking back. The good news was that it had made progress. It had got into and developed a relationship with Network Rail and had done one or two projects that actually were paid projects. And fundamentally, they'd led to critical approvals in um, a difficult sector, uh, a sector that's very safety conscious. And eventually, um, looking back, uh, I don't think we've fully realised how helpful they would be, but it gave us enormous early critical um, early stage advantage in, in the in the marketplace and it's probably fair to say at that point where we had you know the value of having that champion or at least one uh, conceptually that champion in, Ian in Sir Ian McAllister yeah who you know who for, for those listening in who was had been previously um, chief exec of Forge UK and then chairman of Network Rail and he was on the UCLB UCL business board yeah um and gave us, you know, not just one, but a number of introductions in, into network rail. In that phase, that first phase, the, the, you know, the foundation phase, you know, the good news was, as we said, network rail, introductions, start of product approvals, fundamental later on in the business. The bad news was that 
<laughs> and we had real no, we had no real prospects and uh, almost no revenue. We had had some seed money. Uh, I can't remember whether you alluded to it, but obviously UCL had provided uh, a modest uh, sum of money initially to keep the business uh, up and running for those first few years, um, and that had obviously been very helpful. But that was uh, that was long gone. But, I think uh, it's fair to say cash flow management was always a was always an interesting challenge for us, <laughs> pretty much right until the end. But um, yeah, you know. But I suppose coming to into that phase one. What you think you were, in hindsight, what you got yourself into? Well, as you well know, Stephen, there have been uh, um, in almost unlimited numbers of times when I have thought to myself, why on earth did I join this? Uh, ultimately, I did have conviction that the business had something. Um, and knowing that it had something, it had something that potentially had the possibility to be a commercial success. I had to know that it was going to make money, was going to make profit, um, and ultimately that that was the sign that it was going to be a, a, a true success. Tell us a bit about you know the, what your 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 focus and your your you know what you believed you know was the yeah. was in a sense you know the learnings from that ne- from that next phase that next sort of six years two thousand and eight to two thousand to twenty fourteen. Um, well, I've talked about that very first meeting with the twenty pages and the lots of prospects or lots of opportunities but no real prospects uh, it's very clear that number one um, and i will always say this as a probably number one on any list of um, of critical critical success factors is understanding your priorities um, and priority and focus is fundamental to any business um, and but certainly one with limited resources and limited money so Rule number one and focus number one is which market are we going to focus on? Now that was relatively easy and and there's probably a clue in everything that we've said before. Uh, We had some entry points into rail, network rail in particular. So very much a UK focused business. Um, So rail number one and only focus. Now, without going through the nuances of our particular business, uh, ultimately, the actual um, sectors or the subsectors uh, are really around movement evolve around geotechnical and structural monitoring for the rail sector. So rail sector geotechnical structural monitoring uh, to uh, rail engineers to structural engineers and and the likes. So, so that's what sort of problems is that? Yeah, so structural yeah. engineering. Tell us a bit. You know, for those that are not familiar with wireless and okay. yeah, I mean, um, it, pretty straightforward. Uh, structural engineer. Let's call structural engineering and monitoring. Let's talk about a wall. Um, you're worried about a wall potentially falling over onto a rail track or any other uh, safety critical area. Uh, we used to have wireless tilt sensors. Still very much do wireless tilt sensors and they measure minuscule amounts of movement, 0.000 something of a degree or a millimeter of movement. And they, the movement would be conveyed by wireless back to a, uh, a gateway. And that gateway would then, which would be solar powered, which would then send the, the data back to somebody's phone or, or their laptop. Um, monitoring a rail track, monitoring earthworks, and um, monitoring whether or not movement has taken place in the earth next to a railway line and potentially may derail a, a, a train. 
So these are all pretty important um, and certainly seriously safety conscious uh, areas, which I'll come back on in a moment. Um, but um, you know, coming back on the, the priority, uh, number one, our market, we were very clear. Uh, we, we stopped all efforts in, in other areas, oil and gas um, and, and the rest, um, just one market. We clearly needed to go out and, and, and get some projects and win some revenue, get some case studies, case studies so that we could learn, because we still had a very basic technology in those days. Um, and instinctively it felt, but obviously it became obvious over time, we needed to upgrade the technology and to be clear that we needed to have a set of products. It's one thing having a wireless technology, it's another to have a product or multiple products that are appropriate for that particular marketplace with the right price and the right margin and all of the other commercial, di commercial dynamics. Uh, there we were selling to a, a, a very skeptical, unsurprisingly skeptical set of engineers in a hugely safety conscious environment, trains derailing. Everyone loved the concept. The only thing is that they wouldn't buy. <laughs> Getting someone to part with money versus having, letting you have a, a really nice meeting and, uh, and loving the product uh, well, um, any, anyone that's been in a startup business will be familiar with that. Lots of warm noises, um, but uh, no party with money. Oh, I remember those conversations very well. You know, and there was a, you know, there was a great positivity, but there was then this challenge, wasn't there? That challenge, <laughs> that conversion challenge, and you know, those calls that we would have, and you'd be sort of showing great promise. But could we actually unlock that application? Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, we, we did win a few smaller projects, uh, but, it, but I think it probably, it probably brings us onto Bond Street. Yeah, it? I mean, you know. it, it, there is always, I think, um, and I've been involved in a number of startups uh, before, there's nearly always a seminal project. Um, one doesn't actually <laughs> guarantee success, but what it does do is, is it, uh, coming back on the consolidation established credentials, it allows you to say that you have a serious case study and people can start to take you seriously. Um, and in a startup generally where you've got incumbent technologies, that's always going to be the challenge. Um, yeah, the Bond Street project with hundreds of sensors as opposed to onesie twosies, um, you know, that really put us on the map. I mean, we developed our own uh, special magnets that allowed us to put the sensors on the inside of the tunnel. But I mean, well, boy, was this a high pressure environment, as, as you remember. What was no. the, remind us of the application. <laughs> remind us of the application. Well, in, in, in short terms, what they were trying to do was to measure the deformation of a London underground tunnel uh, whilst they were firing high pressure concrete behind the lining of the, the cast iron lining of uh, London Underground uh, in and around the Bond Street area. Um, they had to have trains running uh, and therefore everything had to be cleared by six. Uh, you could never get access until probably one or two in the, in the morning. So you had a very, very intense four, five hour window in which tens of people needed to be down in the tunnel with all the equipment um, doing what it is that they were doing, which was effectively firing high pressure concrete. And they were making decisions about whether to stop and start this work based on the movement of our sensors um, and that being indicated on someone 
sitting on the on the well the live rail which was turned off, uh, looking at the data on a laptop and making decisions about whether to go or no go, and I think Simon, our COO, um, uh, at the time in the business, as as you know, uh, he was an ex UCLB employee before he he joined us, so um, he was fundamental in the success of of, of that project. Uh, I don't think he got many uh, much sleep in the uh, three months that that work was going on. But when I look back at that, um, and you know, not only did we survive, uh, we were successful, and the project was deemed successful. It created an amazing case study. It then enabled us to uh, to win more work. Um, but it wasn't an easy journey. I mean, I talk about that whole period as the pain period because. Yes, we were able to win more projects, but they were still small. You know, we had a very low revenue base um, and we were looking, even, you know, after a successful project, um, as Stephen, you will remember, that famous meeting in the pub where you, Simon, and I sat down, the COO, the CEO, and the the major investor in the business or the major shareholder in the business, um, we sat down and said, should we close this? You know, this is a lot like hard work. Yeah, okay, we're turning over revenue. We've got some case studies, but I mean, we're not making a profit. Um, we didn't look like we were generating enough money to be able to support our own growth. Um, I think we made the right decision. Um, <laughs> but there was that, that particular meeting on a Monday in a pub in near West Brompton train, uh, tube station. Yeah, I think, you know, you, rightly, we asked ourselves the question, was this still an opportunity, you know, and how long was it going to take us? Um, and it would have been very easy to walk away at that point. But I think that, you know, that belief we had, even though the revenues were, you know, still relatively small, there was that we were at the cusp of delivering something which had widespread appeal and widespread customer a- application. And that sort of drove, that drove us on. But, yeah, you know, the fact that we hadn't, you know, you hadn't been paid, Simon yep. hadn't been paid. For a mere three years. Mere three years, absolutely. Never cease to re- always re- remind me of that. Uh, <laughs> was it really three years? Anyway. Uh, it was well, three years. It, um, but it was that point around, you know, and we, you know, we, we had very little money in the business. But what it helped, but what we did have was a base of potential customers, early use cases. Yes, we did. We did. And I knew that we could have gone out in the market potentially given up a large quantity of, uh, of our, uh, our, uh, our, our potential uh, equity base um, and generated um, maybe a few hundred thousand, I suspect, in, uh, in further investment. But actually, you know, would that have made the difference? Um, it, we needed to make it happen ourselves, um, and we did. Uh, we just generated just enough cash, to free cash, to, uh, to grow the number of people. We got a few extra projects. Um, we, we invested ahead, as, as, as well you know, because we, ultimately we still didn't break even in 2018. Um, we, got a, we, we got a couple of grants, didn't we? We, we got, got a couple, couple of grants, grants which were very they, helpful. They were enormously helpful. They were time-consuming to do, but um, judicious use of, of looking for grants and grant, the right kind of grant money uh, is absolutely uh, something that, uh, that, it, that should be a target. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, it's a very limited number of people working hard. Um, you know, you were the, the, the finance director. You were very hands-on. Uh, I was certainly very hands-on. <laughs> I was writing the, all the proposals, chasing the invoices. And so I was responsible for cash in and you were responsible for, 
for cash out. And ultimately, is making cash out as I could possibly get away with. Very much so, if I remember rightly. Um, and ultimately, that gave us the ability to survive. So even though we were making no money, um, certainly no profit, uh, we were able to survive um, from, the, from the cash that we were, were, were able to generate. Well, that, but, you know, if I look back over the whole of that period, you know, what were the major themes in that period? You know, the, the, yes, we still had to win revenue. Uh, but if I look at the, you know, the un- other key decisions that we made, we made a core decision to upgrade the technology platform, effectively dumping the platform that we had originally built and that was the, the platform that came out of UCLB. Mm. I mean, that was ultimately totally rewritten and, and upgraded. And we needed to do that in order to provide and supply the, 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 the sector, you know, the, the rail sector um, and, the, and the construction sector with the appropriate technology and reliable technology. Uh, the other thing that we did was we recruited, we did recruit a number of people, but you know, in and amongst that, the, the core recruitee was the, uh, the CTO, a new CTO, a young and skillful uh, CTO, uh, and then, you know, finally, I suppose we were uh, using the platform, the technology platform, to make sure that we, uh, we grew our revenues. But we started um, to make ourselves into an international uh, business and not just a UK business. And, um, and, and if I were to summarise all of, of that, you know, by the time we'd got to the end of, what was it, say, 2013, 2014, I would say that we had truly... Um, evolved and uh, embraced the the fact that we were not a wireless technology startup. We were a rail and construction focused product and solutions business with dynamic people who had an utter and ruthless focus on customer service and, and, and customer support. So I would say we had evolved from startup phase to proper business um, by the end of that phase. Um, yeah. You know, I look back and I wonder, you know, that six-year, five, six-year period of winning, as you rightly described, pain, could we have shortened it? Maybe, you know, and are there lessons that, you know, as we look forward, things that we might, you know, maybe would have, would, some, would greater investment capital have helped us to, um, to, shorten, to shorten that a little bit? Maybe it would, you know, um, I welcome your views. But I think the most important thing about that, being close to the users and the customers, that's so important and every business has to go through that period of trying to meld in a sense finding product market fit um i i, I do believe in the, the the hard work bit um and judicious injection of capital uh, at the right time clearly um providing it's being used by the right people um but you know we worked very hard in that period of time um you know there was you know six or seven of us um, and, and of course yourself, Stephen, um, and the, the team working together um, relentlessly and ruthlessly over those tough periods got us through. Because, and then that, yeah, yeah. and that through. sort of then takes us into, you know, the, in a sense then the sort of climbing, the, the gro- we, you, you know, rightly describe it as the growth phase, the climbing, yeah. the climb, often in people will be familiar, certainly some people will be listening to this, we feel it was sort of climbing the J curve of adoption. Um, and I think you rightly break it down, not into a single curve, but into two sort of phases. You know, I, I, I sort of break the two um, stages down uh, in the way I have. 
2018, and 2018 uh, beyond. Because if, if one is one is a is an increasing curve, and then one is a very steeply rising curve. Um, so I, <laughs> uh, stage B for me is very much like stage A, but uh, with the business on steroids. Um, I think you know the the pace of uh, and the rate of change, evolution, and growth in uh, in stage B is significantly greater than than a still very successful two thousand and fourteen. I mean, this definitely you know the whole period was starting to become the fun phase. If I talked about the uh, the old uh, previous phase being the pain phase, this was definitely the fun phase. Uh, we were a credible business. Uh, we were winning high profile projects. Um, so forget tens and yes, we did. We certainly did projects with one or two sensors. Uh, let's be clear on this. Um, but uh, we were now into uh, winning serious uh, high-profile projects with hundreds, thousands of sensors. Uh, we were displacing incumbent technologies, not all the time. Um, and we were, more pertinently also, uh, beating our newly arrived competitors, um, who had also started to appear, um, uh, sensing that we were having success. Because the moment you have success and you raise your head above the parapet, then others are going to see you and they're going to say, hmm, yeah, maybe we should be in this uh, as well. But we definitely felt like a proper business uh, and we therefore felt ready uh, to, uh, to not only be a, a, you know, a serious player internationally and, a, and in the UK, obviously, uh, but we also felt uh, capable of meeting the needs of our marketplace and, uh, and uh, you know, being the best in terms of uh, beating our competition as, uh, as well. I mean, stage A, this, this next period, we, we were winning more projects Getting more revenue, certainly, uh, that's, that's critical and as a signal and a sign of success uh, and winning repeat projects from the same customer, uh, so satisfied customers. Uh, we, we went international, um, you know, from a UK business, we were then into five or six co uh, company, countries. Uh, we couldn't do that with the old platform on its own, so the technology platform that we had evolved was, was fundamental in making that happening and as an enabler. Uh, we increased our product range, the sensor types, uh, the breadth of what we were doing able to offer. Uh, we recruited some quality people, so we were moving up in terms of the, the, you know, the numbers of people were in the tens rather than the singles. Um, customer support, second to none, uh, and we made it second to none. Uh, we stood out, you know, whatever happened, we were there to support our customers. The tricky thing, of course, is the dynamic of how many people you can recruit with the amount of revenue uh, that you're generating and picking and choosing those uh, right and selectively you know, choosing, obviously, the right kind of person, but also the type of person that you need at various stages is fundamental. Uh, we went from 80 to, to 20 people. Um, customer support was, was you know, a, a, a very significant part of our uh, our growth. Um, we were in five countries, so we needed to make sure that uh, our customers, uh, UK, Australia, uh, the US, France and, uh, and Germany were uh, the big five for, for us at, at that time. Um, and we moved from uh, 400,000 or so to around about two million pounds in, uh, in revenue. So starting to look like a, like a proper business. So it did mean that we were able to uh, to start pay, paying the bills on uh, on time, but cash was always very tightly managed, uh, and in, and anyone, anyone who understands cash accounts P and Ls, 
um, and how you run a business will look at our numbers and they will ask how on earth we managed to grow and still be massively loss-making and have no overdraft and no external funding. Uh, um, Stephen and I will uh, launch a book later on. It's top secret, the answer to all of that. Uh, but yeah, we had a pretty special formula, I can tell you, to, uh, to allow us to make it through that time <laughs> to grow the number of people and to still be loss-making. Um, I make it sound uh, uh, amusing. Uh, it, it was not easy. Um, and it was it, fairly it was stressful at times. It was. It was fairly stressful. <laughs> um, but, you know, we had, you know, great, you know, in a sense, you know, and that was probably encapsulated, one of those successes in that period was the, was the great, was Pudding Mill Lane. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. where the, this was where uh, the tunnel boring machine was emerging from below ground on Crossrail, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were monitoring so the, so the tunnel boring machine was was coming was, was emerging above ground um, and was it network rail or was it yeah, CF it was network rail, rail yes yeah. so it was principally monitoring the network rail lines in and around the rebuilding of a, of a new station and where the tunnel boring machine was coming up so that they were really worried about the high speed tracks coming into London so main lines coming into London and whether or not there was going to be movement uh, and for anyone well, anyone uh, movement on a railway track uh, when a train is, is running at high speed is generally not good. Um, but, uh, you know, if the lines get out of alignment, um, then obviously you can have a, a derailment and, and death. So uh, it's pretty uh, intense stuff. Um, and the project that we had, I'm, I'm 800 or so sensors that we had on the, on the rail track bed was uh, a fairly, well, very significant i'm going to say seminal again i think in each of the phases that we have gone through there have been one or two seminal critical projects that effectively moved us on to another level uh, and the one that you know i think i always look back and think of those industry awards we got for putting your lane yeah um and they were in a sense that you know, a further badge of honor of of again we 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 had, we were we were working towards cracking this opportunity and demonstrating that we were you know the, the that that was the industry leader. Yes, and yeah, you're you're totally right. I mean, I've kind of forgotten about all the awards. We you know there was a a, a slew of awards that we we won in that period, uh, which of course we became very blasé about in the end mm -hmm. because you know we won so so many. But looking back, uh, they were another fundamental building block in, in showing credibility. By, me, by no means were they the only uh, m mechanism to demonstrate credibility to the marketplace because ultimately the marketplace looked at, okay, tell me what you've done recently in this space and show me where you've been successful. And that, uh, that kind of um, mentality and questioning was fundamental to us being perceived to be successful. Yes, it took us a long time to become credible or to be perceived to be uh, a serious player. But once we were, we were established, we were the market leader and we remain the market leader in rail by a long, long way. Uh, and the ground that we established there uh, is core to the business success to, to, to this very day. Um, and ultimately is core to the success of the business in enabling its sale um, in, in 2021. Yeah, I, I mean, the groundwork um, for the success from 2018 and 21 and had obviously been done, um, if, if not clear from what I've said before, 
uh, had been done in the previous periods and the previous um, phases. Uh, the, 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 the stage A that I've just described in the period from 2014 to 2018, um, you know, that, that set the base for the supercharged uh, growth phase because um, clearly by that time we, we were seriously credible in our chosen space. Um, we were well recognized in our marketplaces. Um, we were getting significant repeat work. Uh, we've moved uh, in, uh, in gradually from sort of five countries, the, the, you know, the big five that I mentioned earlier on, and we were increasing that almost every year. Uh, we certainly got up to, I think, about 30 um, by the time we got to 2021. But we were easing into other international areas, so we were there able to um, make sure that we were establishing new revenues from, uh, from new countries uh, um, as well. I, I think it's, you know, when is the right time to mention uh, COVID? Clearly, COVID uh, fell right in the middle of, of that phase. Um, I think we made a very important conceptual decision, um, which was that we were, we had actually generated some uh, some some decent cash by that time. Some dare I say some spare cash because we were now profitable for the first time uh, in our history, um, and we 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 genuinely had money in the bank for the first time. So uh, we never needed to go to the bank uh, ever uh, again. And we were able to get a very helpful, um, um, in, uh, helpful uh, loan uh, from an interesting uh, organisation called Finance uh, Birmingham. So they should definitely need to uh, to, to be mentioned in in this. Uh, that was hugely helpful. Uh, it was a rail focused um, government uh, backed support, um, but it enabled us to to make some uh, even bolder decisions, maybe. Uh, that than than I uh, might have taken uh, if we'd not had that money. It just gave us another um, another level of of comfort that if things went wrong, uh, we would be able to fall back on uh, on a hard, some hard earned um, and hard loaned uh, cash. But coming back on the COVID um, decision, we we made a decision that whatever happened, we wouldn't get rid of any people. Uh, we never knew what would happen. Uh, we, we, we certainly planned that we, all revenue would stop. Uh, we, we assumed that all construction work would stop on building sites because people weren't get, able to get on sites. They would not be able to get on rail track, etc., um, etc. Et and we took a fundamental decision that we would continue with all of the people and we would, if necessary, uh, burn all the money um, and keep a hold of the people because we knew we had a crack team that would uh, see us through uh, whatever uh, a period that would arise out of COVID would, would be. In the end, didn't need to worry. Uh, we didn't know that um, for probably three or four months, uh, but, but actually uh, the COVID year, we had our best year. Um, uh, I won't ever make light of, uh, of COVID because of uh, if its impact on the rest of the world, but uh, uh, we, we managed to, uh, to work our way through it um, and we hardly missed a beat. Um, we increased our revenues. As I said, we increased our activities in, in a significant number of countries. And I think by the end, we were as I said, up into the 30 odd. Uh, we were able to continue to extend the, the technology. We moved from our core 
removed, added, I should say, from our core uh, mesh technology to a LoRaWAN-based technology. Uh, we were winning, and, and here lies some fairly fundamental evolution or revolution, you could argue, in the business. We were winning projects with 20,000 sensors uh, rather than tens or even hundreds. Um, 20,000 sensors, I mean, you know, the, the work that we did for Network Rail in Earthworks is the largest wireless monitoring project ever globally by a long way. Um, and we're still working there and, and we are, you know, into tens of thousands of, of sensors. And, and it's fair to say at that point as well, we, we were doing some quite interesting stuff around sensor fusion, weren't we? So as a business, it was, we, were, we weren't just providing wireless sensors, but you had cameras integrating with, with, with tilt yep. sensors to provide, in a sense, a, real, a, a, a really reli a highly reliable real-time monitoring solution that, you know, that, that probably the, the, you know, the, the use of it on the, on the embankments in southeast London and particularly the Barnhurst deployment was probably one of the, you know, was it, well, another great case. Well, it was the seminal project of, of, that, yeah, of that, that period, period wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, that, you know, that particular project you know, was the seminal project and it, you know, it was an earthworks project. Um, and yes, you, you're right, that the, the development of the, of the product range, I mean, uh, yes, did, did I think that we were going to be into uh, to building our own camera, which is effectively what we did, a camera that was integrated with our wireless. And if we hadn't have got that, you know, well, that wouldn't have got the next project and the next and, and the next. So uh, the, if we hadn't have looked at the market, understood the market needs, hmm. and then developed the product on the basis of those market needs, created a product that... That, that made sense to our customers um, uh, and adapted and evolved that, you know, having our antennae out in the marketplace all the way through that period of time, uh, we wouldn't have been the business that, um, that, that we were. And I think um, that innovation piece was really, really important in the culture of the business around innovation. And so we've gone yeah, from, yeah. in effect, the early instant uh, incarnations, which was very much technology push, yeah. to being something which was addressing market pull. And that, and, and that, in a sense, an ability to create solutions. Yes, to all, everything you've just said. I think it, you've, you've got to... Yeah. It's tough to evolve the product. Yeah. Because it, there's always a list of things that you want to do with the, with the technology or the product or the products. But um, I remember you always insisting that there's certainly the most the sort of... The, uh, the, uh, a number of them, probably more slightly more senior technical team, or those that well, those that have been with us a bit longer, were out there talking to Absolutely. our customers. That was important. So it wasn't just the business development team feeding yep. back a list of requirements, yep. but that that actually the tech team talking to the customers and understanding the user requirements, and and that's I think is fairly unique. That doesn't happen all that many uh, all all that often in in businesses. But I insisted on it. Yeah. I mean, I I I. I, <laughs> I I'm going to try not to generalise, but often uh, in within the technical team, um, you know, people don't necessarily want to be necessarily out there in the marketplace and talking to customers in meetings or on the phone. Uh, I was insistent that they did in order that they understood the customer and the, and the market needs. Um, and whether that be going to conferences and other things as, as well, yes, but it's actually talking to our customers, talking to, uh, so we had you know, software developers <laughs> talking to structural engineers, rail engineers. Um, now, some of them I wouldn't necessarily want uh, 
uh, facing off uh, with uh, with uh, with with our, uh, with our clients. Um, but uh, as a as a general rule, um, you know, eighty percent of all those people that work within the technical team spoke to our customers, um, and I think it's fundamental to our success, uh, because what you don't want is the sales people just giving you all of the the the. The, the impossible things. Oh God, if we had every, because often salespeople would just tell you that you know, they want all the bells and whistles and they'll tell you how critical those bells and whistles are, but they actually won't really understand the dynamic of what it takes technically to be able to develop that, how much effort, time, and is it really necessary? And is the customer gonna pay for it? Mm. So making a much tighter link between the business development team, the customer, and the technical team um, is fundamental to success. And I don't think there's any perfect organization that you can have, but I think you have to start from the top and you have to say philosophically that you want your technical team to be inextricably linked with and talking to the marketplace so that they understand the needs and it's not something that's thrown over the fence in terms of, oh, guys, guys, you need to develop this tomorrow, and we must have it tomorrow, by the way. No, it's a great learning. I think it's a great learning for people. Um, and certainly, I think it was a really an important part of the evolution of, of, of the business. So I guess then we sort of, you've, you've described the journey so far, and the business by, by now is, you know, revenues are growing nicely, the business is in profitability. Um, and in multiple, the, the product is being, is being, is being utilised in multiple countries. Talk us a little bit about the, about, about the, about the timing for the exit, because the business yeah. ultimately was ended up being sold in uh, April 2021. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about, about how you, you know, your, what your, the motivations for moving towards the exit, and then the positioning for an exit. Because yeah. um, that's always because people are often asked ask the question, you know, what is your you know you're often asked at the start, what's your exit strategy? And it's yeah. very hard to be sure of what your exit strategy is. And I think we got with this business, there became a clarity around exit that was you know probably a maturity point and a scaling point. But you know your your views and your own circumstances that led us in a sense yeah. to to doing it to to the exit. Making a decision to. Uh sell a business either in its entirety or, or um, uh, a part sale of a business or, or uh, to engage uh, an outside entity uh, to, to take a partial stake or to, to be able to uh, be, be more actively involved in the business uh, from a phase where the founders, let's say, are in total control uh, is always going to vary by, by, by every business. And... Um, the nature of the individuals within the business, um, you know, the principal players, uh, the shareholders, and in our case, UCLB and their appetite, um, the, um, the chief exec and any other uh, shareholders. And by that time, I was a 50% shareholder. So uh, I was the largest shareholder and UCLB had moved to a secondary shareholder with a, you know, around 30, 30%. 30%. Um, but you know, there were some very, very particular decisions associated with with our decision making, uh, that 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 are that are unique. But I but I'd like to think that uh, some of the uh, the lessons are also applicable to uh, to others as well. I think number one is, um, what do the shareholders want to do? Uh, do they want to stay involved? 
Uh, do they want to, uh, to, uh, to be actively involved within the business after a sale, partial or, or full? Uh, or do they really uh, want to get out? Um, you know, they feel for whatever reason, a host of reasons, you know, they've been around long enough. Uh, they're too old, in my case. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm 67 now, so I'm 65 or so when we, we sold the business. So uh, whilst I love the business, um, I definitely come to a point where I felt like I had uh, done my, uh, my, my time in the trenches and I, and I was ready to, uh, to move on. Uh, didn't mind helping the business, uh, very much part-time, but uh, um, I was certainly of an age where uh, I wished to, uh, to move on to, uh, to other things and, and frankly, re retirement. Stephen and I, um, we, we, we discussed at enormous length uh, over, over many years, uh, what did we want to do? Did we want to sell the whole business? Did we want to sell part of the business? Did we want to continue and do some of this on our own? Uh, because you know, we genuinely believed that the business had opportunity to grow, not only within itself, organic growth, but by being bolted on to or bolting on other businesses that the opportunities for a, uh, an, 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 a business that was bigger, broader, wider, um, etc., were, were all of which were, were, were possible. Absolutely. And I think in the end, you know, as you say, we, you know, mull, mulling over, you know, the various, the various options and, you know, ultimately selling in, selling the business in, in April 21 to, uh, to Edify, um, was, I, I honestly believe was a, was the right decision, um, and was a great outcome for, for the shareholders of Sensi, for the employees of Sensi, um, yeah. and for the organisation in Edify, now Prevalian, who have, um, who acquired who acquired the company, um, and you know, and um, and 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 to take it on that next phase of its journey. Yeah, and I, I just, go yeah, on, no, sorry. just only to only to interrupt uh, because you know maybe we don't mention it again, but um, you know we were we did um, uh, spread out uh, some of the uh, the the wealth created for, from this process, as you you said mm -hmm. to employees. Um, you know there were a significant number of employees who benefited. Uh, from the uh, from the sale process, um, and we also set up further incentives uh, post the sale uh, to keep people on board um, and to keep them motivated uh, with with further incentive. You know, we reinvested back some of that money that uh, we could have got uh, for all the shareholders. Yeah, uh, we invested that back into further incentive programs within for the employees uh, for the employees who so, stayed with the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, so, absolutely. Yeah, and and I think and and that and that is you know, and and that was a I think it was a it was a strong outcome for everybody. Um, acutely where time is running on, and I just yeah. wanted to sort of summarise in a sense of sort of and just ask you to reflect a bit on you know. The journey, some of them, particularly the lessons for those entrepreneurs, whether they're academic entrepreneurs or just more broader sort of, you know, technology entrepreneurs who are thinking about or going on a journey with a new technology. What would you say, you know, those key success factors in particular, and then some broader, perhaps some learnings that we yeah. can mull upon and mull over? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, how do you summarise that whole journey? Obviously, by the time we, uh, we got to where we got to, I mean, it was fairly, uh, fairly amazing. Um, and I obviously feel very proud of, of what we've achieved. And, uh, and I know you do, Stephen, as oh, well. Massively and, so. And UCLB, you know, can take enormous credit uh, from, from this as, as well. Um, I think I've probably alluded to it uh, <clears throat> earlier on. Um, you know, I've talked about the pain phase. Um, 
not losing the faith um, in that uh, journey and when you're going through that very, very, as every business will, I mean, even successful businesses will go through dark phases, uh, whether they be startups or otherwise. But uh, uh, I think it's a truism to say that anyone that's been involved in a, in a startup will go through some very dark phases. Um, and then there will be a time you know, to pull the plug, and I do accept that. Uh, but uh, toughing it out um, is pretty important. Um, and knowing that something exciting could be at the end, um, it, at the end of that tunnel uh, syndrome, as in the light of, uh, I would say is, is fairly fundamental to any entrepreneur or technologist uh, that is involved. I think ultimately the, the relationship that you and I, Stephen, had um, was, was fundamental. Um, you, we always laugh about it, yes, uh, even though I made uh, all the, uh, the, the key decisions in the, in the business, uh, I did find it um, fundamental, like anyone does, uh, to, to have a sounding board um, throughout the good and the bad times. Um, the, the ability to be able to dialogue with someone who you trust uh, is fundamental, I think, in making of any business su successful. It's, you know, it's truism of a chief exec and a chairman in a, in a multinational FTSE company as it is in a, in a small business as, as well. Um, but no, we were very hands-on. We very hands-on. Very hands we hands and at a time when you know, you, you know, we're seeing you know, the, the questions about the roles of technology transfer offices in terms of supporting spin-out spin companies, you know, it, we, it was, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a journey and there was, you know, there were lots of, there were lots of, lots of soundings and lots of discussion. And, you know, I hope, I honestly hope that we, we added value beyond, you know, beyond the, the resource that we put in and the, and in a sense, the, the, the relatively small amounts of seed capital we put in just supporting you because ultimately it was you, you know, the business was you or with a load of other, with lots of people around it, but, but the defining aspects of it was your, your passion, your commitment and your intense belief in the opportunity. Um, and I hope we, you know, we added, we added some value to that. But if I were to list, I mean, these have probably been said, you know, several times um, already as we've gone through our phases, but, you know, just encapsulating the, the, the core components, I'm going to put at the top of this um, um, customer support, ultimately, that if we weren't able to offer whatever the level of the technology or the quality of the technology or whatever products, customers are always going to need support and listening to the marketplace and understanding your your customer, uh, you know, those, those are both, you know, you could argue that they're one point or two points, but listening to the marketplace and being close to your customer and supporting them is fundamental. I think getting out and winning business, um, some people might think it's a dirty word selling, but uh, ultimately if you don't win projects, you don't get revenue, uh, you don't make money, you don't make profits. And, um, you know, that is core to any business. Um, and getting out there face to face. Obviously, people don't do it quite so much face to face uh, since COVID. But uh, face to face, uh, whether it be through Zoom now or uh, out face to face and listening, talking to people, uh, is key. Um, and winning projects is cash is king. Always will be. Um, how did how did we manage to grow people, uh, grow our business, and only make a profit in uh, two thousand and eighteen? Well, cash is the key to, to, uh, to, to that. Um, and ruthless cash management and understanding your cash, both in and out, 
um, and making sure that people within the business understand it and not just one or two people understand that. And finally, I'm going to say, uh, well, I've, I've used it right at the beginning, focus, focus, focus. Uh, understanding what are the critical priorities, the critical issues, the critical things, and they will vary at various stages of the business. This is about an evolution, a continuous evolution, and the business needs to be nimble and ready to make big decisions at almost any time. You know, yes, you can make a load of small decisions that are fundamental in building up to something that's quite big, uh, but you've got to be ready to make a big decision, bold decision. Um, being brave occasionally, be, being be brave, brave, being yeah. brave, isn't it? Being brave in the face of uncertainty. It is. I think in the end, we obviously were able to make the business into a, an amazing success. Um, and despite the pain and despite the challenges, uh, we were able to show that, um, you know, what the art of the possible is. Um, ultimately, uh, it isn't for everyone. Uh, but I, I hope that there is, uh, there's enough in the, in the story of, uh, of the journey that uh, is positive for, for almost everyone. And then uh, hopefully it'll inspire some people to, uh, to make that journey, um, but to anticipate a little bit of sacrifice uh, a lot along the way. And wow, what a journey it can be when you look back on it. And something that you're very proud of, very personally, um, at the end of that, uh, that, that journey. Graham, I sh absolutely share that sentiment. Um, it, was a, it was a great journey with a great, with, with, with a great outcome that certainly UCLB was very proud to be part of and uh, you know thank you for sharing your thoughts your reflections um, bringing back some of the memories um, that we that we had on the, over over the over those years and uh, and to demonstrate the value that can be achieved by TTOs and by and by management teams from university spinouts um, and yeah thanks for sharing um, and uh, you know I really appreciate it My thanks pleasure. a lot thank you again